Good to see you all. How's your bracket? No one says good. Nobody knows. Nobody cares, apparently, either, so that didn't work. Um, I want to draw your attention to... I'm, my name's Eric. It's great to see you. Great to be with you guys tonight. Bye, kids. Bye, high schoolers. Uh, I want to draw your attention to something that is hopefully right in front of you. It's this card. This is um, this card is... Uh, is it has information about our Easter and Good Friday services that are coming up very soon. We, we love this weekend that's coming up. We really believe that it's, um, I don't know if it gets any better than this. And, and this card is, is more than just something with information on it, although I will tell you about some of the information on it. But our hope is that this card, which is so wonderfully designed, isn't it beautiful? Uh, Adam and Kylie. Um, Made it. Uh, this card is, is, we hope, something that you would prayerfully take with you and, and give to someone as an invitation to be a part of our, um, our, the Easter weekend, which includes Good Friday. You know, people think that they, they can't invite somebody to Good Friday because it's going to be too heavy, but there, there's, there is no Easter without Good Friday. So if you want your friends and family and neighbors to hear the whole story, Invite them to Good Friday. We'll gather at Good Friday at 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. We'll have ministry for kids at 6.30. Um, Easter Sunday, we'll gather at 7.30 a.m. I don't even know why I'm saying that time to you. None of you will go. None of you have ever gone to that time. This morning, Adam said, would you consider the 7.30? And he was like, you should say the same. And I was like, not a chance. Um, there, there is a gathering at 7.30. None of you will be there. Um, 9.30, 11.30 and then at 5 p.m., I want you to come to the 5 p.m. because we're going to baptize some people that night. Amen? Amen. 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 So we take that card and, and uh, consider who, maybe there's somebody that God wants you to give that to uh, over these next few weeks. Let's get our Bibles out. Uh, if, if you need a Bible, somebody would, would love to hand you one. We always open up the scriptures here. Um, tonight we continue our study in what Luke calls the Sermon on the plane. We're in Luke chapter 6 tonight. We've been looking at this sermon taught by Jesus, uh, and we've been considering it to be, we've been thinking of this sermon as God's word of challenge for his disciples to live a different kind of life in a broken world. It's a word of challenge, and, and tonight we're going to drop in on Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6. We'll start in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. 
This is God's word. It's going to be one of those nights. You know what I mean? Francis Schaeffer, the famous uh, Christian thinker and philosopher, used to tell this story that went something like this. He said, imagine that every person that was ever born had a tape recorder around their neck that they would wear from the time they were very little. And, um, and this tape recorder would only record the moral judgments that this child, all the way up through their adult life, would make. And by moral judgments, I, I don't mean things like, oh, I love that song. I mean things like, what's wrong with her? Or he's going to get what's coming to him. And so every time this child, all through their adulthood, would say things like that, the recorder, it's just imagine it, the recorder would just record all of those throughout this person's entire life. And, and, and imagine this person lives a very long life. A full life. Let's go with 89 years of living. This is a solid life at any standard. And this person, at, at one point after they die, they'll stand before God. And God is the judge. And this person may say to God, you know, I never read the Bible. I, I didn't really know about you. So, so you, really, you really can't judge me on that. And God will say, fine, we'll just judge you by your own standard. And God pulls out the tape recorder, and all he does is press play. And this recording of all the judgments this person has made, God plays that back. And it doesn't go on for a couple of minutes. It doesn't go on for a few hours, not even days. This thing goes on for years. And at the end of the recording, the recording ends and, and God says to this poor old soul, have you even lived up to your standards? Let's close in prayer. No, I mean, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's it, right? It's too, it's too intense. Let's get the band up here and play something happy. It's, I can't get away from what is actually going on in this, in this text tonight. I want to talk to you about this theme of judgmentalism. That's going to be the theme that we're, that we're looking at uh, as, we, as we consider these words of Jesus. And, and I want to remind you that Jesus is he's preaching a sermon about community formation. Jesus is forming a community of disciples and he's instructing them how to live. Remember, he's instructing them how to live differently in a broken world. And so what Jesus is doing in our passage tonight is he's, he's teaching and speaking about what brings life to a community and what kills community. So I want to look at this theme of judgmentalism, something that will hit close to home for all of us, I, I believe. And, and to understand what Jesus is saying, I, I want to look closely at, at four key words that are used in these first two verses of our passage. And, and the words that are used by Jesus are the words judge, condemn, forgive, and give. Now judge and condemn will fall under, if, even if just looking at the passage, you'll see that they fall under the do not category. And then forgive and give fall under the category of do, actually do this. 
And but our first word tonight is the word judge. Now, this is a word uh, that in the Greek is a simple, at a, at a simple level, it's, it means to separate or to distinguish between two things. Throughout our day, we make many, many, many judgments. We distinguish between two things. But this word also has what I, I'd like to think of as a legal term. The word judge can mean something like bring to trial. And Jesus says, don't judge. Now, I think it's important tonight that we would make a few distinctions um, in this passage before we get too far into this. Um, Do you think that Jesus is saying that we should never say that something someone does is wrong? Do you think that Jesus is saying that? I hope not. Is Jesus saying that we should never look at a way of thinking or living and say that that's not actually right? No, he's not, he's not saying that. He's, he's saying something different. Because when we read the teachings of Jesus, Jesus is always making moral statements. Jesus is, is if you read the Sermon on the Plain here or Matthew's version, often called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching a new ethic. Jesus is teaching a new way to live, and it has all sorts of statements about morality. Jesus will say things like, it's not that I just don't want you to commit adultery. I want to rid you of the lust in your heart. And Jesus will say things like, I'm actually not just so concerned that you won't kill each other. That's a pretty low bar. Am I right? Jesus says, I want to get rid of the hatred and anger that rules in your heart. Jesus is saying all sorts of things about the way that we live. And he's teaching us a new way to live. And so he can't be saying that I want you to never use discernment in your life on what's right or wrong. And so I guess what I'm saying is this word judge probably isn't quite enough of a definition for us to understand what judgmentalism is. But the next word, that word condemn, will tell us, I think, what Jesus is actually saying. The word condemn means to pass sentence upon someone. The idea is that the person is actually punishing and sentencing people. And this word condemn is so strong in the scriptures, it's, it's the idea of damnation. That a person would bring someone to trial and then pass a sentence or a punishment on them. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. And he's saying that is because that type of living, that judgmentalism is toxic for community. Says that way of living poisons the well. And Jesus offers a different way, a different way of living. And he uses two other words. The, the third word, which is the first word of, of Jesus's way, is the word forgive. Now, the word forgiveness is also a legal term in the Greek. The word for forgiveness literally means to set free or release, but the idea behind the word is a legal term meaning to acquit someone of a crime and to set them at liberty. So the idea of forgiveness is the releasing of a prisoner. Now, do you see the wordplay that Jesus is doing in this story? He's propping up one way of doing things where you, where you pass judgment on people, you bring them to trial, and then you sentence them, and then he says there's another way where you actually release them and free people. Jesus uses the word forgive. And the final word 
is the word give, which is simply the idea of bestowing on someone a gift. And just like the first two words, judge and condemn, go together, I think that the second two words, give and forgive, go together. Jesus is very simply saying, I want you to give forgiveness. Judgmentalism and bringing people to trial and sentencing them, but the way of Jesus is when we release people and set them free by giving forgiveness. And Jesus seems to think this is perhaps one of the most important things that his disciples could know. The Sermon on the Plain isn't a particularly long sermon. This sermon tonight will be much longer, I promise you. But Jesus says that very early on in his sermon. He says, I need to talk about this judgmentalism that is prevalent in the way that people live and really in the way the communities are formed. And so Jesus puts up two ways. And he says, I want you to imagine judgmentalism, which is marked by judgment and condemnation on one side of a room or one side of a field, and then my way, which is marked by giving and forgiving on another side of the room. And which way do you gravitate? That's the question we're being asked tonight. In our lives, do we gravitate towards condemnation or do we gravitate towards giving and forgiving? And that's what Jesus is getting after. But I think that there's something, else, there's something going on in this, in this passage where it's very obvious the way that Jesus wants us to go. Can we nod our heads and say that Jesus would want us to be giving and forgiving? That's, that's quite clear. But how we get there and how that happens, I think that we could actually get a little bit confused in this passage if we're not careful with what Jesus is saying. And I want to draw your attention back to verse 37. Let's put that on the screen. It seems like, when you read this at first, it seems like these are if-then statements from Jesus. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemned not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, it's, it's beginning to seem that Jesus is making kind of a chronological statement. You know, if, 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 you're, if you're nice to other people, then they'll be nice to you. Or perhaps he's saying something even more than that. If, if you forgive people, then, then, then maybe I'll, I'll send some forgiveness your way as well. But do you think that's what Jesus is really saying? Do you think that the, the, the opposite of that is true? If you overlook people's sins, then I'll give you a pass as well. See, I don't think this is so much of an if-then statement. Jesus is talking about something that's much deeper than that. It's much much deeper than than we think that it's sort of like we're kind of earning forgiveness from God. It, It can't be that because Jesus gives us this amazing picture in verse 38. He says this. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Jesus has taken us to the marketplace in his story. And he's describing God. He's describing what God is actually like. And he says, you know, God, you know, I've heard this, this, um, this 
this verse before, it's been grossly taken out of context in many, many instances, and I never really understood what it means. But what I think Jesus is doing is he's, he's saying God's like a vendor in the marketplace. So picture the farmer's market, and, and you go to this vendor, and God's like the vendor that is, is dispensing out grain to people. But he's not stingy at all. So you imagine bringing a container to God, the vendor, and he's pouring out grain into your container, filling it up, and then pressing it down so that all parts of it are filled, and then pouring out even more into it until it begins to overflow. Jesus says that's, that's, what's, that's what God's like. That's how God gives out his blessing and his generosity. He says, I want you to think about that. Do you like chips? I love chips. It's a running joke with me and some of, some of my friends on the pastoral team about how just how much I love chips. I love potato chips, corn chips, all the chips, all the time. If I was on a desert island, they're like, you can have one thing. I'd be like, probably a bag of chips. But the thing about chips, the thing about chips, you get a bag of chips and it's always a little bit of a letdown, right? Like the more expensive the bag of chips, the less chips that are in there. Am I right? Like picture you're, you're at a, a fancier grocery store and you go to the nice chip aisle and you grab the top shelf chips and you're excited and the bag is this big. And if you read on the back, it'll say something like 14 chips equals 140 calories. Why does it say that? Because there's literally 14 chips in there. That is it. Think about, think about God. That story probably did nothing for you. But think about God. He's pouring out, filling this container. Every single part of it is full. And it's filled to such an extent that it just pours out onto the lap of the person that has been given to. And Jesus says, that is what God is like. When you receive the forgiveness of God, when you truly take hold of it, it overflows from your life and you begin to give it away. And I think that's what Jesus is saying because Jesus is always saying that. Matthew 18, just, just look at this passage with me. This, this is an amazing passage. It's talking about forgiveness. It's talking about why it's so hard for us to forgive at times. I want to read this to you. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. See what Peter's doing there? You see, like, forgiveness is costly, Jesus. Like, shouldn't we put a cap on this? Like, should we give out a little bit, but then, like, we reach a point because we think forgiveness, when we give it out, I'll use a business term here, when, when we give out business, we think we get put in the red. That's how we always think of things like that. If I, if I pour out grace into other people's lives, is there going to be anything left for me? This is what Peter's asking. Now listen to Jesus. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of 20 years of work. It's 20 years of earnings. And obviously, since, since he could not pay his master, his master offered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. <clears throat> so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about a day's worth of labor. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Notice he says the same thing. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. We'll stop with that story there. Do you see what's happening here? This man clearly hasn't actually taken in the gift of what the king had done for him. It's obvious. It's obvious that it hasn't had an impact on his life. If it had an impact on his life, if he considered just how great a debt he'd been forgiven, he would have run to his debtor, the one who owed him and forgiven him immediately. But instead, he continues to live like a slave. He continues to live like a debtor because he actually doesn't consider what the master has done for him. Lewis Smedes once wrote, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And Jesus is saying, my way is forgiveness and giving. And he asks us this question, what direction are you headed in? Where are you going? This is, this is I, I believe, what the teaching, the clearest teaching of what Jesus is doing thus far is. And again, it's obvious. We, like, I want to be a more forgiving person. I want to be a more giving person. And, but how do we get there? How do we, how do we move in that direction? And I'm going to suggest tonight that the, the remainder of this passage calls us to ask three questions in our life that are of the utmost importance. And I think that they're right here in the text as we continue to study tonight. Question one is this. This is the question you need to ask yourself every single day. It's very simple. It may sound a little bit too basic to you, but the question is this. Who am I following? In verse 39, we're back in, in Luke chapter 6, and in verse 39, Jesus begins to tell parables as he expounds on this theme that he's talking about. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? This is where that wonderful phrase, can the blind lead the blind, actually comes from. And what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about leadership. Jesus' life and teachings were an indictment on the religious leaders of his day. These leaders, and particularly the Pharisees, were constantly at odds with Jesus. 
And Jesus is considering them to be blind. Now, think about Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. Is If you've been with us in the, in the book of Luke thus far, he's been saying, they're talking things about like the Sabbath. Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Pharisees have no idea that the Sabbath was actually a gift for God's people and that the Sabbath was pointing to me. And so he's telling his disciples, if you follow the Pharisees in their way of thinking about the Sabbath, it's like the blind leading the blind. And so Jesus brings up this question again and again throughout all of the Gospels. He says, who are you following? And the question comes before us again tonight. What are the voices in your life that you're following? I was thinking this week about the brilliance of the inventors of social media. Just go, just, just like go with me on this for a quick second. Social media, I think, is where judgmentalism rules with an iron fist. Can we agree with that? Okay. But the inventors of social media, just, just think about this. So I'm thinking about um, the relationships on social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or blogs. I don't know what the kids are doing these days, but you know what I'm talking about. These relationships, which, I mean, they lack what for thousands of years have been considered to be the key aspects of relationships. Physical presence, face-to-face conversation, shared experience, mutual serving, sharing life, going to coffee, playing catch. Do you know what I'm talking about here? These relationships lack some of these very basic ways of thinking about relationships. So rather than calling our social media relationships what they actually are, distant, occasional, non-real, the social media strategists have used an incredibly meaningful word to describe these relationships. Do you know what it is? Followers. They stole a disciple word from Jesus. Can you believe it? It's amazing. So we, when we talk about these kind of relationships, we say things like, well, who's following you? How many followers do you have? Do you have more followers than people that you're following. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the way we think about that. And this intimate word of following has been placed onto non-intimate relationships. And so rather than casually looking on in on the lives of, of people in these social media relationships, we embrace this idea that we're following them. And so we see at least that they perpetuate that their lives are lived in a constant state of vacation. Basically, every day is spring break and, and we look on in their lives and we hear this message, go and do likewise. We're following. Who are we following? Who are the people in your life that you're following? Jesus brings this question to mind so often because he wants us to follow him. Now, the leaders, again, the leaders in Jesus' day are judgmental. They're pouring out condemnation on people in the society. And Jesus is saying, don't follow them. Please don't follow them. Follow me. Follow my ways. And you need to ask yourself that every single day. Who am I following? What is the voice that is guiding my life? That's question number one. And question number two is, I would say, incredibly related to question number one. Question number two is this. Who am I becoming? 
Listen to Jesus as he builds on this, on this theme in verse 40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And as we read, I think that we should take on this idea that Jesus intended that his disciples would become like him. Because it's inevitable. When you attach yourself closely to someone, you start to take on their traits. You start to do the things that they do. Who are you becoming? I'll illustrate this with sports. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with baseball. It's the greatest sport. It started this weekend again. It's amazing. Okay. But so I I grew up and I was obsessed with baseball and I knew the mannerisms of my favorite pitchers, my favorite batters. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So when I grew up, I'd play wiffle ball in the backyard with my best friend. And if I was on the mound, I would just emulate the windup of my favorite pitchers. And he'd be, in the, he'd be in the batter's box and he's waving. This is the Gary Sheffield if you, you didn't watch baseball. But um, we emulate the people that we want to become like. It wasn't just that we thought it was funny. We, we, like, I wanted to throw like those guys. And I wanted to hit like those guys. And that's why we do some of the things that we do. Now, this doesn't skip generations. Recently, I was considering my own son who just finished his season of basketball. The kid loves to dribble. And who's teaching him to dribble? It's not me. Steph. Steph Curry's teaching him to dribble. He's taken on all of the mannerisms of Steph Curry to such a degree. The other day he said, I, I, I noticed like, Judy, you're getting really good at dribbling the basketball. And he's like, I know, I've been following Steph. He's like, Dad, I want to cut my hair like Steph. And I was like, I was about to say, you know, his hair grows a little bit. You know, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Yeah, get the haircut. We always want to emulate the people that we look up to the most. Jesus knows this. Because behavior is, it's not that it's just taught, it's caught. We, we look to people, we attach ourselves to them. And it's not just so that we can say the things that they say, but we want to think how they think and feel how they feel and so that we can act the way that they act. What are we talking about? We're talking about discipleship. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it was in the time of Jesus. This is what Jesus intends for our lives, is that we'd follow him so closely that we'd begin to think the way he thinks and feel the way he feels. And and then hopefully, as a community together, we would act in the way that he acts. That's what he is after. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking like, that illustration breaks down, Eric, because you were not a professional baseball player. But I could have been, I promise you. I had options just fell into the ministry. No, it's not true. I I love what Jesus says here. It's deeper than just just like emulating or just dressing up as people. The word that Jesus used when he says, when the disciple is fully trained, it gets at the idea of being restored or united. The word fully trained um, literally means, it's the idea of, of mending nets. It was a fishing term. So Jesus is saying, I'm restoring my disciples. I'm mending their lives so that they become more and more like me. And how is he doing that? 
It's forgiveness. He says forgiveness, when you practice forgiveness, that's, that's the way that I work my restoring power in you. That's the way that you become like me. That's the way that you follow me. Consider how important forgiveness is in Jesus' ministry. Think of the healings he's did. Just a few um, verse, a few chapters back, there's a story of the, of the four friends who bring the paralytic to Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? They bring him to him. They, they lower him through the roof. Their intent is that Jesus would heal the guy and Jesus does heal them. But what does he do right before that? He forgives him. They're like, that's not really why we came here, but okay, fine. Next story. Jesus is sitting in the house of Levi, the tax collector, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they hate that Jesus would be hanging out with tax collectors. And what has Jesus said? Jesus says this. He says, I actually came to call sinners to repentance. Why does he do that? So that he can forgive them and restore them and mend their lives. This is, this is what Jesus is doing. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, I want you to be like me. Think about it this way. Judgmentalism is playing God with people's lives isn't it? And the opposite of playing God is imitating Jesus. The antidote to living as a community that's judging constantly each other is to imitate Jesus. What's he doing? He's forgiving. So again, the question is, who are you becoming? If you're following Jesus, you're going to notice Jesus is always giving forgiveness. And he says, go and do likewise. Third question is this. What am I seeing? Do you notice that in this passage, Jesus is always talking about this theme of blindness? He's always talking about vision. Can the blind lead the blind? And what he does to emphasize this idea of of what are we seeing, he tells perhaps his most famous parable of all. I think that even if you haven't been a part of a church community, you've maybe heard these words before in verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The story is, is, this is Jesus being comical, right? Like it would have been funny to the people who first heard it and it's supposed to be funny to us. And, and you know, the idea is that there's, there's a person with, who's constantly peering into the face of, of a friend or a brother or sister and looking at a speck in their eye, but there's a massive beam coming out of his own. Now, the, the word, our word here is log, but the idea is, is that it's a beam. This would be the kind of beam that would run along the bottom of a house. This would be a foundational beam. This is huge. This is massive, but he's, but he's looking at a speck in the eye of his brother. And we often use this against other people, don't we? Like, this is what we always use. Like, don't judge me, bro. There's a plank in your own eye. You know, but Jesus is calling his disciples to consider 
that there's something going on in them and that that might be the root of their judgmentalism. That might be the root of the way and the reasons why they condemn people. Don't you think that we're more harsh with other people than we are with ourselves? I'm pretty lenient on myself, pretty harsh on the people around me. But I think it's even deeper than that. I think that we judge others often because we see our own faults in them. You ever do that? No one nodded. Don't we do that? Psychologists call this projection. And if you don't think it happens, just find the nearest parent at dinner and ask them if they've ever called out a sin in one of their kids and very quickly after that realized that they learned it from them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like in my house, there are, there are many, many times when my wife will catch me lecturing one of our children about something that they shouldn't be doing. And she gives me that look where she's like, you know, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. And I said, let's leave the parables to Jesus. Stop judging me. Don't judge me. See, that's what I, almost, I want to call the sermon, don't judge me. But I, but I didn't. This is what we do, right? We are uniquely stirred up by the things in other people that are in us. It's not just Jesus who says this. Romans chapter two, verse one, this is the apostle Paul. He says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. That passage goes on to say one of the most amazing things. It talks about the kindness of God leading us to repentance. Oh, how many times I've, I've prayed that for another brother or sister. I say, oh Lord, in your kindness, bring them to repentance. And I kept reading that passage this week and God says, no, that one's for you, buddy. How often and how easy it is to turn our eye to another because we see our own sin, our own faults in them. And we don't know what to do with it because we haven't yet fully received the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. I knew when I was writing the sermon that I needed to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you ever need to feel convicted, read Bonhoeffer. It works like a charm. Listen to this. Judging others makes us blind. Whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. But in the love of Christ, we know all about every conceivable sin and guilt. For we know how Jesus suffered and how all men have been forgiven at the cross. Christian love sees the fellow man under the cross and therefore sees with clarity. Do you want to see the people in your life with clear eyes? See them under the cross. Do you want to see yourself with clear eyes? Consider yourself to be under the cross. What are you seeing? What are your blind spots? I love what Bonhoeffer says is we're often trying to justify ourselves by judging others, but what if instead we saw this person in our life, maybe they've hurt us, maybe they've let us down, but what if we saw them 
as one that Jesus is offering his generous forgiveness to? And what if we saw ourselves in the same way? What kind of community would we have where that was extended to all? I love what Scott McKnight says. He says, we need a self-awareness and another awareness that is shaped by our God awareness. We think about God and God's goodness, his generosity, his forgiveness in our life will change the way that we see others. That's what he intends to do. So tonight in closing, I, I want to encourage you to, to ask those questions of yourself, but I want to encourage you to do three things in response. Maybe you even can start to do some of these things as we respond in worship in just a moment. But the first is this. Please embrace the generous forgiveness that God has given you. Don't be like the one who's forgiven a massive debt. But he never takes that forgiveness into his heart. Don't live that way. Embrace God's forgiveness that he has given you. The second thing is this. Remember the tape recorder? Pay attention to the tape recorder. Pay attention to the times when that thing hits record. Like, just, just try it for a day. So you say something, you be like, I think the recorder's on right now. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to what things set you off that others do. And the third thing is this. Be quick to forgive and slow to judge. And how often do we mix up that order? We're pretty quick to judge, pretty slow to forgive. But in Jesus' community, it's, it's different. You notice Jesus is forgiving people that haven't even asked for it. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we overlook hurt. I'm not saying that we don't pay attention to things that have hurt us or harmed us. But what if we were more quick to forgive? What if we were more quick to pardon than we were to put people on trial and sentence them? That's what Jesus is talking about. Adam said this, he always says this. He says, if the gospel is true, then my biggest problem is my own sin. If we live our lives in that awareness and receive the forgiveness of Jesus, it'll overflow, it'll spill out. Imagine that kind of community. Tonight, we're going to respond together. And I think there's probably nothing better that we could do than come to the table of communion. Nothing will cure our spiritual blindness like the table. Because when we come to the table, we remember, we remember that the body of Jesus was given for me. The blood of Jesus was spilled for my sin. Do you want to be cured of the blindness and judgmentalism in your life? I do. And so every week we do this, we come to the table and we see ourselves and maybe even tonight look around and notice everyone else under the cross of Christ, forgiven 
He's mending our lives. He's renewing us. He's restoring us. He's uniting us to him. That's the story he's writing. And it's the one we must embrace and live in. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing. Lord, I pray that that tonight we would first receive your forgiveness in us. Lord, maybe even as as the word has been preached tonight, we've become aware of of sin that's in our lives, Lord. We we receive your forgiveness. We receive your pardon in our lives, Lord. Our prayer is that that would overflow. Our prayer is that like the person in the marketplace whose container is spilling out over, we pray that that would be our lives, filled up, renewed, restored by your love and your grace. Lord, will you do this in us tonight? Help us to see our lives under the cross. Help us to see, first and foremost, every single person in our life under the cross. And Lord, we take even this time right now to to pause and ask you to continue to speak. The sermon's over, but you're not done speaking. You're not done pouring out your grace into our lives and we receive it even now. And we love you, Lord. Amen.